You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Tim Brooks. All right, here we go. Are you ready to get started in the Word? By now, your Bible ought to just fall open to Romans as we get ready to study the Word. You know, the three of us, Paul, Josh, myself, I'm, we just, we love this. We just love teaching verse by verse. We just love what we're doing. The Apostle Paul in Romans has spent four chapters dealing with the moment of salvation. What happens? The moment of salvation. In chapter five, he begins to show us what happens after salvation. Josh talked about the Last week, the five benefits or the five results of salvation. Boy, if you miss this, you just have to go back and get this. Uh, Peace, access to grace, joy, the hope of glory, the access to him. And uh, I don't know, I, I I don't know if he needs to go and just preach that word for word a couple more times or if he needs to do a five-part series and take a whole lesson on each one of those, you talk about a great word last Wednesday night. Wow, those five were fantastic. Um, This section, as we're going to look at this, first of all, deals with the three levels of salvation, or what I call the three tenses of salvation, the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense of salvation. Chapter 5, verse 1, you can look. Therefore, we have been made right. Okay, that's past. See, get the tense. That's past. We have been. It's already done. We have been made right. Chapter 5, verse 3, we can now rejoice when we run into problems and trials. They develop in us. Okay, hold on. That's present. See, something is developing in me. There's something I'm improving on. There's something I'm growing. There, th- this is the present tense of salvation. And then chapter 5, verse 9, we certainly, look at the wording here, will be saved. Now, we've got to understand our salvation. If we don't, it's going to leave you really amiss when you only see one of the tenses of salvation, and, and we're in a real problem right now because many denominations see only one tense of salvation. Well, Tim, you preach on this all the time. Well, I do because it is foundational. We have to make sure, I want to make sure everybody in this church understands this inside and out. There's so much confusion on salvation because we, and we have those preaching. That Jesus' blood, when he died, when Jesus said it is finished, salvation was complete. Sin was forgiven, and it's a done deal. When Jesus said it is finished, Tim, it was finished. Okay? So the end result of that is go live however you want to live. Do whatever you want to do because sin has been forgiven. See, just live however you want to live. And, and there is no holiness ever preached in these churches. And whatever you do is accepted. We just accept everybody. We love everybody because everybody in here has received forgiveness of their sins. And we got churches right here in this very town that preach that week in and week out. And there's never a message about a holy life because it's not necessary. 
Jesus said it was finished. Okay? Then we've got those that are preaching. You just do the best you can. You do the best you can. You got to live right. And when you die, you hope you've been good enough to go to heaven. You don't know for sure. You don't walk around here saying, I'm saved. You don't walk around here saying, I'm a saint. You do the best you can. And we're trying to do right. And we're just... We just struggle doing all we can to live right. And there's a lot of scriptures about the, the requirements of living a holy life to be right before God. And then we've got those preaching, you just suffer through this weary life. And one day we'll see Jesus. One sweet day. Every Southern Gospel song, everyone is one sweet day, in that sweet by and by, on that roll called up yonder, one day, when this weary life is over, one more day. And the truth is, I can read a lot of scriptures that say that. In the twinkling of an eye, I'm going to have a new body down the road. Not today, but down the road. And there, there are scriptures that say, we groan until we have a new body. There are scriptures that say that. Well, Tim, why is all this controversy? You have to understand we are a triune being. Don't tell me the trees and the animals and man were all one. No, no, no. Don't, don't give me that. A tree has a body and that's all. An animal has a body and a soul or the mind and that's all. We human beings are the only thing created in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. Okay, so since we are a triune being, there are three tenses to salvation. When I ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart, instantly, my spirit is born again. It is in the image of God. God comes in and reborn, there's a rebirth that takes place, and spiritually, I'm alive to God. And you don't improve on that. That's a once and for all. It's a once deal. You have a perfected spirit of God inside you. And you, nothing you can do will change that. It's a one-time deal. Instantly, you're saved. Except for, I do have a soul or what we now call a mind. That's another case. There are scriptures that say, choose daily. There are scriptures that say, take up your cross daily. There is a taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Thank God that he saved my spirit. Woo, I got a handful with my mind. It's every time I turn around, I'm thinking a wrong thought. Every time, take that thought captive. Okay, bring that thought captive. I'm washing my mind with the word. I'm renewing my mind. I'm getting rid of worry. I'm trying to get in God's peace. I'm running fear out of my life. I'm bringing in the presence of God in my life. I am daily working my salvation out mentally. Okay, is everybody with me? My body, one day, one in the future, not right now, This body is deteriorating and it's falling apart, but one day I will have a new body. So we've got to understand the triune being that we are, and we then see the past, present, and future tense of salvation. Now, we we just got to get this because 
you can drive down the street here in Hot Springs, Hot Springs Village, and you can find denominational churches that are teaching one of these, and you're going to get off if you don't understand all three of these. I want you to know, when you ask Jesus into your heart, you're instantly brand new. Then, for the rest of your life, you're going to renew your mind daily with the Word. Daily, you're washing your mind with the Word. I want you to know, this old body, in the twinkling of an eye, will put on a whole new body. You'll be a new you, and there'll be a new you for all eternity, and it won't have any aches and pains and hurts. So, what do we believe? Do we believe salvation is done and complete? Or in this church, do we believe that salvation is a daily process that'll work in progress? Or do we believe that salvation will be in the future? The answer is, yes, that's what we believe. That's absolutely what we believe. Well, where does your church stand? That's where we stand on all of it. Because we understand salvation. Now, let's pick up right where we left off. And by the way, you started out saying you're going to get all the way through verse 11. You only got through verse 5. What? Oh, I hope he doesn't get paid on the number of verses he gets through. You won't be able to feed your family. I don't... No, it was great last week. It was great. But he said, well, you're starting in verse 6. It didn't get very far. I just can't imagine somebody standing up here and just preaching on and on and on about one verse. I just can't imagine anybody. Some of those laughters know me. Let's get started. Chapter 5, verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Now, we see here an explanation of the love of God that is poured out for us. When we were utterly helpless. Now, look, look at what it says here. You're, you're condemned if you don't keep the law. You have no contact with God if you don't keep the law. The problem is we couldn't. See, the problem is we could not be perfect. That's why we, we're in a hopeless situation. Utterly helpless is what he says. Utterly helpless, condemned to God's judgment. Verse 6, Christ died for sinners, not perfect people. Christ died for sinners. I've heard it. You've heard it. If you've ever talked to anybody about the Lord and you invited them to church, it, it, somebody will say to you, Tim, I can't come to your church. The walls would fall in if I walked in the doors of a church. The walls would fall in. You've heard that said. You heard it said, oh, Tim, I'm just telling you, you have no idea what all I've done. I can't go into that church. I don't know what you've done, but here's what I do know. Christ died for sinners. 
Christ died. You, you don't clean your act up before you come to church. Christ died for sinners. Now, many are hindered in their prayer life. Many are hindered in their prayer life because they have done some bad things in their life. And that hinders their prayer life. You got to understand, Christ died for sinners. He died for sinners. And regardless of how bad or what you've done, I want you to know Christ died for sinners. Okay, let's read on here. Verse 7 and 8, get this. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It is a show, not of what you've done. We don't read about what Tim I've done. We don't read about your past. We don't read about all the mess ups that you've done in your life. It's a show of God's, it's not a show of you. It's a show of God's love. I love that. It's a show. God puts on a show. I love to go watch a show. I love watching the show. God puts on a show. I'm showing out. I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to show you my love for you. Now, I want you just to stare at verse 8. God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus. Now, look at these words. While we were still sinners. Wow. That'll change the way you live. That'll change the way you pray. That'll change your approach to God. Verse 9. Since we, okay, now look at this, have been made right in God's sight by the blood. Okay, we're going back and forth. See, we're seeing the three tenses of salvation unfold. We have been made right in God's sight. If you have been, if it's already done for you, there's nothing you can add to it. You can't add to that. You have been made right. Yeah, but Tim, man, I messed up this last week. You have been made right. Yeah, Tim, I lost my temper this week. You have been made right in God's sight. That's why we read in the scripture, you can boldly walk into his presence. All right. Old Testament was the blood of animals covered sin. Jesus' blood in the New Testament, a perfect sacrifice, washed sin, did away, and forgave. Okay, verse 9. He will save us from the ultimate consequences of sin. What is the ultimate consequence of sin? Being condemned. Being condemned. The dictionary gives us a definition of condemn. Number one, to declare guilty. Number two, to inflict a penalty on. The third definition, to declare unfit for use. You're not condemned. God does not declare you unfit for use. You have to boy, I've had some real mess ups in my past. God does not declare you unfit for you. Y'all remember the woman caught in adultery. And, and he said, look here, where are those that condemn you? I don't condemn you either. God does not declare you unfit for use because of what you've done or hadn't done. Verse 9, 
we have certainly been saved from this. From what? From being declared unfit for use. That's what we've been saved from. Verse 10 and 11. Our relationship with God has been restored past. We will certainly be saved future. Verse 10. Saved through the life of his son. Ho, ho, wait a minute. That's a new concept. That's a new concept right here. We know we've been saved by his death because that paid a penalty that we owed. I've been saved by his death, but now, verse 10, I am being saved through the life of his son. Okay, we shall be saved by his life. See, we are in a daily process of getting rid of our greed, getting rid of our lust, getting rid of our selfishness, getting rid... See, we're in a daily process of dealing with this, and we do that through the life of Jesus as I see how he daily ran his life. Back to verse 3. Remember what we're talking about. Rejoice when daily our lives run into trials and problems. Okay, how did Jesus handle in his life his trials, his problems? See, we are being saved by his life. You know, I always remember the, the, the story of Enterprise, Alabama. I don't know if any of you have ever driven through or been through Enterprise, Alabama. It's a town in, in Alabama. And for generations, they grew cotton. Now, they weren't very successful. It's a very, very poor town. And the people there were very poor. They were cotton farmers. And it wasn't very good for them. But that's what they did. That's what their daddy did. That's all they did. The bold weevil came through years ago and what the bow weevil it was a it was just a mess came through and wiped out the entire cotton crop and the bow weevils were everywhere and they wiped out their entire cotton crop this was going to put these this little farmer town completely out of business so to try to salvage what was left of the year they couldn't plant cotton it's too late and the bow weevils were eating it out so that to try to salvage their year, they planted peanuts. They didn't know that that soil there was highly productive to grow peanuts. They had a bumper crop, and people made more money than they ever dreamed of making in the peanut business. It's interesting, right now, if you drive through Enterprise, Alabama, the town square, there's a big monument of a guy holding up a big bowl weevil. And that's the monument in the town square. It's this big old bug up here uh, on this statue of a bowl weevil. And boy, we're just thanking God for this bowl weevil. That's our life. We just keep doing the same thing, doing the same thing. And sometimes it takes a crisis. It takes a, a big time crisis to get us out of growing cotton and into, we'd have never grown peanuts, would have never thought about growing peanuts. I would have never done that for a living. And it forced them into something. Now the prosperity in that town is unbelievable. It's unprecedented. How did they get to be a peanut farming community? Because the bow weevil ate the crops up. Shipwrecked and ruined their life. Okay, verse 11. So now we rejoice. 
See, we can rejoice back through these trials and, 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 and problems that we're having. Now we can rejoice because we've been made right with God. See, we've been through problems. We've had crises in our life. But now I'm rejoicing because I've been made right with God. I may have never gotten right with God had it not been for the trials and the problems and the crosses that brought me. The bow weevil isn't a good deal. I don't want a bunch of bow weevils. But at the right place at the right time, those bow weevils, are you, are you getting this? See, I mean, your problems, we're not very proud of them. But God took those problems and he brought you to him as a result of them. All right, let's go. We got to go. Verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. When Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness, and many through another man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. For God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead of giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus our Lord. We've got a lot of verses here, but it's going over and over and over making the same point so that we get this and we can understand this. Real quick, we all know this. Genesis chapter 2, God created man, placed him in the garden. Chapter 2, verse 17 God gave man a choice. One tree, middle of the garden, don't eat it. Now, why did God put one tree in the middle of the garden, don't eat that? If God hadn't put that tree there, we would have all been okay. Why did God put the one tree in the garden and then tell us not to eat it? That one tree provided man a choice. See, without that one tree, we wouldn't have had a choice. Now, when we were seniors in high school, I look across third period psychology class and I see the most gorgeous woman in the world. I could have walked over to her, pulled a pistol out of my coat pocket and said, all the days of your life, you follow me around and say, honey, I love you. And when you don't, every time I poke you with this pistol, you say, honey, I love you. What would be lacking in our relationship? 
her choice. Here's what turned me on all those years ago and still does today. Out of all of the people in our high school, I'm not going to bring this up, but I had on a pair of overalls, a red bandana, and a ponytail down my back, sandals on, son. She couldn't live without me. Chased me profusely for six years before she just wore me down. What still thrills me today? She chooses me. See, God wanted us not to love him because we didn't have a choice. God wanted us to love him because we chose to love him. That's what makes an alive relationship. Okay, you know the story. Chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, man chose against God. In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. A spiritual death took place. We were then immediately separated from God. Verse 12, sin nature was passed down and no one could do anything about it. You inherited the sin nature. Verse 6, that's why we're utterly helpless. You get this. We, I mean, you were born bad. You were born with a sin nature. The seed of Adam was passed down to all mankind. And there, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me at people that want to argue this point because there is no way you can argue this point. Just watch two 18-month-olds playing in the floor together. No one taught them to grab the toy from the other one No one taught them to grab the other one's arm and bite it. No one teaches a kid, a mom doesn't say, okay, when you don't get your way, now watch me. And she throws herself on the floor and starts kicking her feet and she teaches her son how to throw a temper tantrum. Nobody teaches a kid to bite, to be mean, to be selfish. No one teaches, now look, when y'all are playing, I want you to look around. There's a lot of toys to play with, but you go take the one out of his hand that he's playing with. Now, watch how I do this. Give me that. It's mine. Nobody teaches a kid to be selfish. Why are children mean, bite? Why are they selfish? They can't help it. What's the matter? They are born with an Adamic seed, a sin nature. Verse 13. A kid on a bicycle cuts across his neighbor's yard, because it makes a trip shorter to his friend's house. Now, he knows he shouldn't do it, but he does it anyway. He knows he shouldn't ride his bicycle through that guy's yard, but he does it anyway. A rut begins to develop. One day, he rounds the corner, and there's a sign in the yard, keep bicycles off the grass. Okay, let me ask you, was it wrong before the sign was up? Yes, it was wrong But how does the kid know for sure and for certain it's wrong? Now, why is it punishable? Because there's a sign up. Is everybody following this? Verse 13. If I can find it. Here we go. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Okay, see what the law did? The law shows you sin. The law reveals that we are in sin. All right, verse 14. Death reigned, but Adam 
is the example of one to come, except he is opposite of that. Okay, now, what was Jesus? He was born of a virgin. He didn't have the Adamic seed. But he was born from a woman, so he was a man. So he's the only one that's ever been born that did not have the Adamic seed. So he's the only one that's ever been born that didn't deserve the penalty of death. So he's the only one that's ever been born that could pay the penalty of death. Nobody else could pay the penalty because they owed it too. Jesus could pay the penalty because he didn't owe it. When he paid it, he was the first guy that didn't have the Adamic sin nature in him. So when he died, it was one that didn't owe the debt that made it possible for him to pay the debt for us. Okay, verse 15. Here's the example. The result, the transgression of sin of one, many died. The gift of one, many are forgiven. Now, verse 16 through verse 19 explains verse 15. Since sin came for all by one man, then it stands to reason that one man could pay the penalty for all for sin. Okay, are you seeing what he's saying here? Well, how can Jesus pay the penalty for all of our sin? He can do that because all of us are sinning because of one guy. Okay, that's what he's saying. Now, just a kind of a physical example that I thought about in the Olympics every four years. Why do we cheer so for the American skier, the, the American luge? Why, why do we do that? I don't know those guys. Why are we jumping up down on our couch cheering for them? Because they are, represent, they are a representative of all of us. See, he's doing that for me. See, so, so we understand a representation Verse 20 and 21, the law drags us down, but grace pulls us up all the more. Verse 20, God's law did not make sinners. God's law shows us that we are sinners. Now, I want to, I've got to hurry, but I want you to see this very quickly. Today, let's just change the law and there'll be no sin. See, the law showed us we were sinners, I got a good solution. Let's just do away with the law. Okay, now let's just make a law. Same-sex marriage is okay. See, now it's not a sin. No, no, no. It's always a sin. That has been a sin. The law just simply shows you why you're miserable. See, we're miserable. We're upset. We're miserable. Well, you're stealing from people. What's wrong with that? Well, God's law. See, God's law shows me why I'm guilty. God's law shows me why I'm miserable because I am in sin. So I can read God's law. I see why I'm unhappy now. I am not doing right. Well, I was still like the boy on the bicycle. You haven't been doing right, but now the sign just lets you know why you haven't been doing right. Does that make sense to you? I wouldn't know that I needed God's grace if the law didn't show me. I don't need God's grace. I'm good. No, you're not good. Now, look at the law. Oh, yeah, I hadn't done that. I'm not doing that. I'm doing that. Okay, I need God's grace. Living miserable, living unhappy 
the law shows me why I am. I'm living in sin. I know that because I've read God's law and I know God's law. So I know that I'm in sin because God's law has shown me that. That brings me to Jesus. I receive his grace. I receive his forgiveness, which has been done for me. Now that puts me on a course to pursue holiness, to pursue living in a right manner, so that in the future, I'll have a new body and live with him forever. I just love studying God's word. Y'all stand. Lord, we just, I mean, we're overwhelmed and with gratitude for your grace and for your mercy that while we were yet sinners, you did it for us anyway. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for not condemning me. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. And because of that, I choose to pursue you and live right before you. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of new life. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.